You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey, this is Dan Savage, and you have managed to successfully download... I'm not supposed to say that anymore. I got a bitchy email from a regular listener, uh, a regular downloader, who said it was patronizing of me to say that every week, to say, you've managed to successfully download another installment of the Savage Love podcast or the Savage Lovecast, uh, because it implies that readers are you know, technically inept, or listeners are technically inept, or it's hard, or it's hard to figure out every week. Uh, and it's not, apparently. I guess I'm projecting, because for me, it's impossible. I can't figure out how to use iTunes. Uh, I have an iPod with three songs on it. It's got room for 15,000 more, and I can't be bothered to figure out how to actually move them onto it. So I listen to the same three uh, Scissor Sister songs over and over and over again. So I apologize that I've been accusing all of you out there as being, of being as sort of tech-deficient, tech-retarded as I am. You are not. You are like the tech-savvy youth who uh, produced this program, who agreed with the uh, emailer that it was patronizing and rude of me to accuse all of you of being as technically inept as I am. So I take it all back. So we're going to start all over again. Hey, this is Dan Savage, and you have, as you often do, downloaded a podcast because you're really smart and really good at this whole tech thing and using computers and your fucking iPod and on the bus with the buds in your ears and everywhere you go, blocking out the world, listening to the sound of my lisping voice. Uh, the phone number here at the podcast, 206-201-2720. You download this every week just so fast because you're so good at www.thestranger.com slash savage. Uh, we rely on your calls. If you want the podcast to continue, uh, keep those calls rolling in, uh, 206-201-2720. Let us get to the uh, calls that are coming in from people who have managed to successfully use the telephone. Hey, Dan. Great fan here. So I have one question. Well, I've met this guy, and he believes he has herpes. And although he has not had any outbreaks in the whole year that he's suspected he hasn't, so I'm curious, what is the probability that he will have, or that he does have um, herpes? What would be the risk of me contracting it if I were to have sex with him? So you got this cool guy who believes he has herpes. That disturbs me. It makes me think he's not a cool guy because a cool guy would march his ass down to a clinic, to a health clinic, to Planned Parenthood, uh, to the nearest STI clinic and get a test, get tested, find out whether or not he has the antibodies, whether or not he has been exposed to herpes. And he would know that he has herpes or he doesn't have herpes. People, you know, cool people don't run around going, hmm, and stroking their chins. I, you know, I may have herpes. Sleep with me. They either know they have herpes or they don't know they have herpes. I suspect that he perhaps knows he has herpes. Uh, perhaps he had an outbreak. Perhaps he had a sore that he looked at and uh, being a doctor, apparently, diagnosed himself as having herpes but hasn't had it confirmed independently by a clinic. Um, that could also have been a syphilis sore, uh, which is a sore that pops up once and then goes away. And then 30 years later, you die a, a horrible death. Uh, and so he might want to go to a clinic and get tested. Uh, you might want to make that a condition of actually ever getting to touch you, that he has to go to a clinic and get tested just to figure out what the fuck is going on with him, whether he has syphilis, whether he has herpes, whatever he's got. So if it turns out that he does have herpes, uh, what are your risks if you sleep with him? Uh, your risks are, you know, that you're going to get herpes. Ta-da! Uh, that's a risk that most people 
run because most people who have been exposed to herpes are asymptomatic and yet infectious. Uh, and you've probably, if you're a sexually active gay guy, you probably slept with a few people with herpes already. You may also already have herpes, so maybe you should get tested. Um, you know, herpes, I think, is something you should disclose if you have it. It would be easier to disclose herpes if people didn't react to herpes as if it were Ebola or AIDS back in the day or even AIDS now. Uh, herpes is, in the grand scheme of things, uh, and as sexually transmitted infections go, really not that big a fucking deal. Date the guy for a while. If you like him and he likes you and he respects you, he'll go get tested. Then if he, once he knows what he's got, then you can make a decision about whether he's worth it, whether he's worth assuming the risk of contracting herpes yourself, which is, I don't want to describe it as insignificant, but I don't want to overestimate it either. It exists. There is a risk. What you have to decide is whether he is worth assuming that risk. Hi, Dan. Um, my question is about uh, what, what turns you on. Uh, lately, I've noticed that a lot of times um, I think about um, incest. And it's not like um, I have ever done anything like that. Um, I had a boyfriend once that was involved with his um, sibling and his one cousin and it was weird because it never it never I mean it bothered me but it wasn't on the level that it bothered everybody else to me it just seemed kind of exploratory and normal and I don't know if that's a normal thought um so I guess my question is um is it normal to have incestuous thoughts I wouldn't describe it as normal. I would also not describe it as unheard of. Most people who have incest fantasies, thank God, have incest scenario fantasies where they fantasize about having sex with someone who is their mother, but the person in their fantasy actually isn't their mother. They still have the incest tripwire, thank God. Uh, but it is a relatively common taboo fantasy in part because incest is taboo and that fuels a sort of obsession in some people's minds with, you know, violating taboos uh, as your ex-boyfriend violated his sister and broke a taboo. It is, you don't say what ages they were uh, when this happened, the involvement with the sister and the cousin. There's a lot more sibling, uh, sexual exploration that goes on at young ages than we would like to acknowledge anymore. Uh, it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot more people out there that have done it than are willing to admit it. Uh, you know, and one of the reasons people aren't willing to admit it is because, you know, they're, 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 they're uh, acknowledging uh, sort of subconsciously and reinforcing and helping to maintain the incest taboo, which I am all for. I believe the incest taboo should be maintained uh, at all costs, at all times, and for all eternity. Uh, uh, maybe that's because my siblings are so repulsive. Or maybe they're just repulsive because of the incest taboo. Maybe I don't find them repulsive because they're repulsive. I find them repulsive because of the incest taboo. Regardless, uh, I've never had an incestuous thought. I had an incestuous dream once, and I woke up and I uh, filled a bathtub with vodka and lay down in it for six hours. But uh, if you're having incestuous thoughts and fantasies that turn your crank... Uh, I don't want to hear about them. Uh, I would encourage you not to act on them. I would hope that your family wouldn't 
look up at you from the Thanksgiving dinner table and say, that's a grand idea and clear everything off. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but as you can see, it makes me very uncomfortable. People ask me sometimes, do you have any hangups? And I do. And this is one and one I will hang on to all my life. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old female, and a couple months ago, I was on vacation with a bunch of people, um, including my parents, and my mom pulled me away from everybody and decided to tell me that I had been molested when I was a little kid, and I just looked at her and was like, are you kidding me? Like, why are you telling me this? why I'm, you know, perfectly normal, I don't have any issues, you know, and I guess I get it, like, she explained to me that apparently she has known women whose kids woke up and had an epiphany someday and called their parents and were like, why, you know, hey, mom, why didn't you tell me that I was molested when I was a kid? Um, Is it appropriate that she did that? Like, because, you know, you start thinking about it once you find out this information about yourself. And I was just wondering, like, should she have done that? Is it appropriate? Like, should parents be doing that? Or should they, you know, just wait? And if their kids remember it, then deal with it then. Because uh, apparently, according to all these statistics, like, it happens to a lot of people. Uh, hey, Susan, it's Dan. I just listened to your uh, message, uh, your call, and decided to get you on the phone. Great. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay, thank uh, you. No, wait a minute. You, you, you were a victim of a molestation. I have to say it like this. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> no, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> are, are you sure? Are you sitting down? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, you, you, your, did you, your mom didn't go into any detail, did she? Did you? She have... not. I mean, she told me who it was, and it didn't seem to be like like a bad, violent. I mean, not of course it's bad, but you know, like a violent kind of thing. I think it was more of a. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Like, I don't think I, you know, somebody tried to have sex with me when I was a little kid. But but you didn't. You had no recollection of this at all. No idea whatsoever. God, it does and seem. And she told me in the middle of a vacation with my boyfriend and my best friend and my family and at the beach. It was so weird. <laughs> you know, it is weird. It's. I can understand your mother's fears about you one day remembering. And then as some people who, you know, have recalled incidents of abuse and there's some controversy about whether any of that recovered memory stuff is true or not, um, you know, some people have reacted with fury and directed it at their families for keeping it from them, for, you know, keeping the secret all their lives. And I can understand your mother's desire to cover her ass and her, her you know, legitimate worry that, you know, if you one day did remember it or find out about it, you would be angry at her or your parents or your siblings or anybody who knew for keeping it from you. You know, and there's a lot of people who have been molested as children who, you know, have had a lot of dysfunction throughout their life, and when they find out what happened or realize what happened, they pin all the dysfunction in their life on that event. You know what I mean? But it doesn't sound like you have a lot of dysfunction in your life. No, I don't. Like, now I just feel like it's weird. Like, sometimes it pops into my head. Like, you hear about it on the news or reading it in the newspaper and stuff, you know, a lot nowadays. And I kind of, like, just think, oh, that's so weird, you know? Like, there was something a, like that happened to me. There was a hugely controversial study uh, that came out. And it was controversial because people, you know, in our sex-phobic, sex-crazed, crucified-the-sex-offender society didn't like the results uh, that showed that most people who were 
victims of sexual abuse as children um, showed no lasting ill effects. Uh, you know, people took that as making excuses for pedophiles or somehow putting the, you know, good housekeeping seal of approval on pedophilia uh, by saying, hey, it's no big deal, you know, they should get to rape kids because it doesn't hurt them that much, you know, but it does hurt some yeah. people terribly. Um, but, I'm sure, but, but I kind of like, I just sort of wish that I could have gone, you know, through, I just like, was it, so I guess my main question was like, should she have told me, like, was that a good idea? Because apparently this is happening a lot because she had talked to people you know, who had said, oh, you should tell your daughter, which is, you know. So your mom didn't tell you, but for years she blabbed to the neighbors about it? Who was well, she, she no, getting that know. feedback from? I don't, I don't know. She was saying, I have talked to some people recently whose kids have sort of had that waking up, oh, my God, I just remembered this. I can't believe you didn't tell me, uh-huh. you know. And so I don't know if they told her, and she said, oh, shoot, maybe I should tell my daughter. So, I, I, like it's really hard for me to say whether or not your mother should have told you. Oh, because I just... Because... I mean, I guess I you know, told your, mother you had, your point of view. Your mother had anxiety but... and stress about knowing something and, and keeping it from you. And, you know, this is an experience that you had as a child, something that happened to you, and I actually kind of feel that you have a right to know. But it does feel like part of what was going on was your mother shifted her anxiety about knowing something and keeping it from you from her shoulders to you. Now, it's your anxiety about what this means and you know, this thing in the back of your head now for the rest of your life, and would it have been yeah. better for your mother just to, like, let you, you know, cross her fingers and hope that she would die of old age before this popped into your head <laughs> or you heard about it from somebody else? Or at least told me where I could have, like, expressed, you know, feelings if I had any about it. It does seem like you know an ambush. I mean? But you have to ask yourself, like, honestly, I'm going to ask you, if, you know, 40 years from now and your mother was dead and your parents were dead, you found out from, you know, somebody else that this had happened and your mother had known all her life and never told you. Would you have been resented? Would you would, would you would you have resented her for that, too? I've thought about that and honestly, I don't know. Like I Well, then I your mother really did what know. she needed to do to yeah. for her own you know, to protect herself. I mean, I'd like to think I wouldn't, but I you know, you never know. But you never know. But I brought up that study that showed that most you know that, that a large number of people who had you know an unfortunate you know had been molested or raped as children um, weren't you know didn't have lasting lifelong ill effects. And I'm just saying that to say you know I don't want you now that you know this to start you know reading you know start obsessing and start screwing your life up or the next time you know if your boyfriend breaks up to you if you hit a bad patch to go it must be that. Yeah no I, like I said I'm not even I don't even have like necessarily like negative feelings about it like I don't feel dirty and I don't I just it's just it feel it kind of kind of weird you know and it didn't even surprise me because I've heard I mean just because I've heard so many statistics recently that like whatever one in three people have been mm -hmm. you know sexually molested at some point during their lives or something like that you know you know I recalled a, a long time ago I actually remembered something that happened to me that happened to me when I was like I think I was 12 or something and it didn't I didn't forget it. It's not, I didn't remember it because, you know, it was so long ago and I repressed it because it was so traumatic. I didn't remember it because I didn't realize its significance. I didn't realize mm -hmm. what was going on until I was much older. And then I thought about it and went, wow, that was fucked up. That was creepy. That was wrong. And, but I haven't, but I wasn't, I wasn't traumatized by it. And, and I, and my reaction to, to remembering it, you know, to basically telling myself about it, my mom didn't tell me about it, was, to kind of like 
get the creeps, get cooties for five minutes, and kind of shake yeah. it off. But now, you know, I remember it all my life, and I shake it off, and I think, oh, that was a really fucked up situation. <laughs> and that wasn't fair, and it wasn't nice, and whatever. But I'm fine. But, you know, it does pop into my head every once in a while, and I kind of go, Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Just sort of like... But that's not too high a price to pay for your mother's no, peace of mind. Not. And, okay. you know, a little bit of insurance that you won't, you know, one day go nuts and blame her for keeping it from you all her life. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that yeah, you having to, true. every once in a while, just kind of go, Ugh, and shake it off. And you know what? The number, those shaking it offs will, you know, will come pretty close together right now. The, you know, the mm-hmm. little hoo-hoos. And they'll come further and further apart the more time goes on until, you know, I haven't thought of this event in my own life for years now. Oh, well, sorry to bring it up. <laughs> and, and, you know, I resent you terribly for, for making me recall it, because it was so traumatic that I'm going to actually eat a cupcake after I get off the phone. Okay? Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for taking my call, Dan. I appreciate it. Sure thing. And uh, and give my regards to your mom. Hi, my name's Mark, uh, and I'm calling about uh, foreskin cleaning. Uh, I'm an uncircumcised dude, and... Uh, I've been wondering what's what's the best way, what are the best methods to keep the underside of my foreskin clean. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to recommend any books or websites or just general methods. Um, you know, soap and water works, but it's fairly sensitive, so I was wondering if there's a better way. You know, there's not a book and a fucking website for fucking everything, including the totally fucking obvious things. You roll back your foreskin and you wash with soap and water. It's sensitive tissue, so you might not want to use, like, stinky soap you might not want to use those little soaps that were made in molds that look like shells that reek that are on your grandmother's soap dish next to the sink in the guest bathroom you might want to use dial you might want to use something really gentle uh and then you want to dry it off you want to make sure all the soap is gone so it doesn't get trapped between your foreskin and the head of your penis uh good luck with that hi dan I've been thinking about uh, the suggestion that another listener gave you regarding not using the word pussy as a negative, and I agree with her completely and think we need to uh, still have a word that's served in that same role. A friend of mine who was too embarrassed to call you came up with what I think is a fabulous replacement, scrotum. A scrotum is completely dependent on outside influences. It has... No um, no muscle, really. Well, it does have muscle, but it contracts and, conspa- and expands totally dependent upon what ha- is happening outside of it, and it has no autonomy. It is uh, squishy and uh, weak. I, uh, so we've been using it, and it works great. You know, so-and-so is a scrotum. Thank you. Bye. First of all, I want to say that I have never used pussy in a negative sense. I have never used it to mean that something is weak or silly or stupid because I have always felt that as a reader or a listener or caller, whatever the fuck you people are, pointed out in a uh, message that a pussy is strong and and it can do amazing things. It can spit out human beings, kapooey. It can uh, take a real pounding, uh, as they say. Uh, and so to, to describe something that's weak or... Or, or, or bullshitty or nervous or, or, or pathetic as a pussy really kind of like doesn't get at what pussy's really about. I do think replacing uh, pussy uh, for people who use it in that negative sense, which I have never done. Uh, I've always used it to mean strong and, and righteous and right on. 
Um, but for people who use it in Eggestone, it might be really smart to replace pussy with scrotum or scrot. Um, because, you know, you know, a scrotum uh, is what it is. It's a scrabble bag. It's a sack. But it's very vulnerable. You know, the balls are very sensitive to pain. And they're just kind of hanging out there. Uh, unlike a pussy, which can spit out another human being and you can fill it with cock and slam it around. You just can't. A scrotum can't spit out another human being. It uh, wouldn't survive the kicking. And it can't. Uh, you can't, you know, fill a scrotum with cock and pound on it uh, for 45 minutes or an hour. Um, and I've tried. So I, I completely uh, concur. Uh, I agree. I, I think it's a smart substitution. So from now on, uh, we will use scrot to mean weak and pathetic and vulnerable and silly and stupid. Uh, and we will continue, as we always have, to use pussy uh, in the sense that something is strong and righteous and uh, can spit out a human being. Hey there, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old straight male from Seattle. And uh, my girlfriend of a couple years and I recently got married. And one of the things we've been enjoying uh, prior to this has been uh, some dildo play and playing with some sex toys. So we thought it would be awfully nice if uh, for the wedding night we got a nice vibrator and played around with that. So we went to, uh, well, she sent me rather to Babeland and uh, picked up a pretty monstrous looking thing. And uh, when I got back home, she said, did you get batteries? And I said, well, no, it just takes double A's. We have a ton of double A's. And she said, well, we have alkalines and you can't use alkalines in sex toys. Now, my father was an electrician and I learned an awful lot of things from him and this sounds bogus to me. And uh, I don't see why alkalines would be any different than any other kind of battery when you're using a sex toy. She says that she was told that the toys can overheat or the toys can cause the batteries to overheat and possibly explode. Now, the man in me wants to pat her on the head and say, well, look, honey, this is, this is an electricity thing, and I, I know what I'm doing, and alkalines are just fine. But on the other hand, the only thing I want exploding in her vagina is my cock. So is this true, or is this an urban legend? We're going to go straight to the top. We're going to get this uh, question answered. We're going to put this urban legend, which is what I suspect it is, hopefully to rest by talking to Claire Kavanaugh, one of the founders of uh, Toys in Babeland. Hey, is Claire there? This is she. Claire, it's Dan Savage. Hi, Dan. Okay, so this question. Is there yeah. a battery configuration? Is there some way you can make a fucking sex toy explode? Make a fucking sex toy explode? Um, I don't believe a battery configuration will do it, but I was just talking to someone who works here at Mercer, and she said that someone returned a rabbit habit, which is, of course, the famous Sex in the City you know, vibrator that's ushered millions of women into sex toy use. And it was, the battery compartment was blackened by the battery's, you know, malfunctioning. Mm -hmm. So that's one in whatever it is, 15 years of... Of pushing these things, of stuffing these rabbit toys into women's twats. Once in 15 years you've had a battery issue. <laughs> right. What are the odds it's going to happen to you? Very <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, batteries do leak. Sometimes they're kind of, you know, they malfunction, they're mishandled, whatever. But this woman, of course, is very, very, I mean, you know, it could happen in any small appliance, you know. But she was at this specific stuff about, you know, an alkaline battery versus... You know, that we used to talk about 
differences. We didn't know anything about it, and we perpetuated this myth that there's some better battery to use. They're all the same. They're all the same. Okay. Well, yeah. so then she's wrong. Yeah. And they need not worry. They just need to, like, every once in a while take a little peek inside, make sure the batteries aren't leaking. Or yeah, right. little maintenance. Battery acid's batteries a terrible out. lube. Actually, if you're going to uh, store your vibrator for any length of time, you should take the batteries out, and that will prevent anything. The issue of batteries aside, um, mm -hmm. what's up in the sex toy business? What sex toys are on the horizon? What are we going to be putting in our Orify next? Uh, well, as we probably have talked about a couple years ago, there people, like sex toys are going mainstream, and, you know, people are applying kind of mainstream design standards, which are also getting higher and higher, you know, in general. Like if you go out and buy it, paper towel rack it's designed by toddledom or something like that it's the same as happening in the world of vibrators but a little bit more slowly i mean they're they're you see you've got the new michael graves line in uh michael Graves. yeah exactly <laughs> right mass marketing no we are getting great um toys in by designers that are you know less well known and you know, there's just this marriage of kind of fashion and sex that's happening that's pretty exciting for a lot of people. And people are spending much, much more on, you know, certain sex toys, like in the hundreds of dollars. For for high-end vibrators. Yeah, high-end vibrators can run you, you know, $225. So in Savage Love last week, the, the topic of uh, strap-ons came up mm -hmm. again for the hundred millionth time, mm -hmm. uh, and women pegging men. Uh -huh. uh, is that still a booming part of the trade, selling uh, strap-ons to heterosexual yeah. couples? Yes, indeed it is. We had what we're now calling the Bend Over Buddy workshop in um, Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, and it was, you know, sellout crowd. Everyone just is dying to know how to do it safely because, you know, people are adventurous and they want to have more kinds of fun sex. And so that's – and it's it's not like that ever gets old. You know, it's not like they're just a, a new generation of people is coming into their sexuality all the time. So – Bend over, buddy is new to the the twenty year olds. If it's old for the you know thirty year olds. So point. when I started writing Savage Love fifteen years ago, uh, and when you opened Babe's uh, Toys and Babeland fifteen years ago, um, and now it's Babeland, um, did you ever expect that we would get as many straight guys fucked in the ass over the years as we have managed to get? You know, I had an inkling. It was just a really a fantasy, a wish of mine that we would, but yeah, I had no idea we'd be so successful at it. I mean, I think between us, we're responsible for the, the, the popping of a lot of hetero male butt cherry over the years. I think so. <laughs> I think so. If I could shake your hand right now, I would. <laughs> but I would wash it first out of consideration. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we want to thank Claire Cavanaugh for coming on with us. Uh, Claire is the co-founder of Babeland, which now has stores in Los Angeles, uh, original store in Seattle, two stores in New York, and of course their website, www.babeland.com, and you should go there and buy a shitload of sex toys that will not explode in your girlfriend's vagina. This has been the Savage Lovecast, 206-201-2720 is the number. Call and record a question for us sometime. Leave a callback number in case we want to get in touch with you. Uh, we promise not to broadcast it. And you download successfully, easily, quickly, uh, skillfully the podcast every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. And we'll be back next week with another podcast.